We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. We have not forgotten about you fine folks. We've been busy this summer. This is Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Kyle Porter. Kyle's been knee-deep in golf and the PFB Summit in Stillwater. I've been knee-deep in TV obligations and vacations, so it's good to be back with you, Kyle. Yeah, we haven't done this. uh, You and I haven't done this in a while. I gave a meager uh, back at it uh, when we did our five-man pod in Stillwater. Uh, It was not... Not up to anybody's standards, yours, Gundy's, nobody. But uh, it's good to be uh, good to be back in the saddle for for August and and for the season. Back in the saddle, pun intended. Cow, cowboy up, yeah. Ride for the ride for the brand. That sounds like something that was written in what was that song? Uh, oh, uh, Cowboys Forever. Yeah, that sounds like a line from Cowboys Forever. Not good it's, by me. It, sound, it sounds like Mike Holder. What it sounds like. Back in the saddle. Saddle up, ride for the brand. Uh, do you think we, Gund- we, uh, do you think Gundy has like orange saddles for his horses? Does he have horses? What? Oh, he's got like every animal in the the kingdom, doesn't he? <laughs> at, at Gundy Ranch. He's got goats. He's got turtles. He's got peacocks. armadillos. Peacock. Peacock. Like yeah, he's got a peacock. Surely he's got horses. Yeah, that's. that's I mean, Holder point. has orange cowboy boots, so you know he has an orange saddle. I don't know about Mike. Gundy, that is. Uh, you and I did not play that well at Karsten Creek, but we did. We did uh, glean some information from people that know things up there. Uh, we're going to have Bill Haston on the podcast today. We'll, we'll talk more about you know the quarterback stuff and just how good the team's going to be this year. But just what uh, what all did you take away from our, our round at Karsten Creek, uh, football wise? Yeah, we talked a little bit about this on the five man pod that we did earlier in the week, but probably just the quarterback situation. It seems more set in stone than I would have thought coming into the year or coming into August or maybe even before we played golf, which was last Tuesday that, uh, the oil Baron Taylor Cornelius, whose name is not easy to say, by the way, um, is, is going to be the guy. And, I think that I think it's still a storyline of whether that lasts all year, but just based on talking to various people who were up there, it, it seems pretty. Uh, it's it it I I think he's going to be the starter from Missouri State. Yeah, I mean, you and I both are in the same boat. We went up there thinking uh, Cornelius had the leg up. That's what Gundy had said at Big Twelve Media Days. But I think you and I both were a little taken aback at how uh, assured we were that that Cornelius was the guy and that it would take a a Herculean effort in a short amount of time for Spencer Sanders or Drew Brown to go in there and take the job. I think based on everything Gundy said since that round of golf and the press conferences since they've had fall camp, it basically sounds like Cornelius is going to be the guy until he's not until he plays his way out of the position. And I think we all can can as Jake Trotter kind of alerted us at Big Twelve Media Days that that Boise State game, yeah, to me is going to determine who the quarterback is for the entire season. Whoever if Cornelius plays well in that game, he's obviously going to be the guy throughout. If he doesn't, do they put whoever they put in first, be it Drew Brown or Spencer Sanders, if they play well, I think they'll be the guy moving forward and. I think that game's gonna gonna tell tell us a lot about who the quarterback's gonna be. I think, but I think you're right. I think it's pretty set in stone now that Cornelius is gonna be the guy game one. Yeah, and I think part of the problem here is you run into this with um, I don't know 
politics, even like when you're voting or anything that you vote on Heisman trophy voting, whatever is if you have two guys on the same team that you don't know about, like you don't know who's better than the other, they sort of steal votes from one another. And Gundy sort of mentioned this at media days on Saturday, talking about Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders. He doesn't really know who the number two is. And because of that, it's almost like neither of them are going to get enough reps to be able to prove themselves, uh, which is, I don't know. I don't know if that's odd or not, but I, I think that's a reality. And he basically just said like, the amount of time that they have before the first game and what those guys would have to do in in the limited reps that they're going to get because they don't even know who the second team guy is it's it's just it's not going to happen like it's it's almost impossible he didn't say that but it was insinuated and you know you can sort of read between the lines now like you said will that be true after Boise I don't know but I think it's going to be true for Missouri State yeah, and tell me if I'm wrong about this. Like, if you're that assured that you you know, Gundy came out and said, like, we're confident in Taylor. Uh, we just haven't seen it in a game. If you're that confident in him that he knows the offense can run it, why don't you run Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders in there with the ones more often than, than Cornelius? If he's the set guy, I know he needs reps just like any number one quarterback needs, but if you're that assured on him, wouldn't you want to get a longer look at Sanders and Brown with the ones just to see – if A, they can progress quicker than you would think, or B, just to, to know whether you have something there or not definitively. I, I don't like the idea that Cornelius just takes all the one reps while Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders are standing over on the sideline. I think that's where Brandon Whedon got so frustrated. Remember him? He was third string, would barely get an opportunity to play, so he'd be pressed when he got in there in practice. So I I don't know. Gunny certainly knows how to run a football practice better than I do. But if, if you're that assured that Cornelius is the guy, I'd, I'd take a much longer look at, at, at Brown and Sanders. Well, thankfully, we have a long history of Gundy making the right decision when it comes to starting quarterbacks. <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but it's painfully obvious that he gets a quick trigger finger even if he makes the the right decision or the, or the wrong decision. It's just he the wall the, the <laughs> one that lives in infamy is the Walsh Chelf one. Game one, he gives Chelf two series. He yeah. makes the right decision that time. He's made the wrong one every other time. He makes the right one. And yanks him after two series. And Clint Clint Shell's brother is just blasting Gundy on Twitter. God, that was I mean this that was this, Yeah, the day that Clinton Shelf ended up on Deadspin. I'll always remember that game. <laughs> uh this has just it's all I almost feel bad for Gundy because like no matter what he does, I feel like it's not gonna be the like it's it could go badly. Um who knows? Maybe ta- people are talking about Taylor Cornelius like he's uh, like there have been comments on our site. They're like, well, he's got a better arm than Mason Rudolph. It's like, OK, guys. Yeah, uh, I saw that. That Come on. Let's let's calm down. Like, he hasn't thrown one touchdown pass in his career. Yeah. Not one. Like, I'm not saying he's not going to be good because I think you stick a halfway decent college quarterback into the system that you have with these receivers and this embarrassment of riches at running back then like okay yeah you can be pretty good but let's let's chill about the comparing him to the all-time winning his quarterback in Oklahoma State history and even comparing his talent level to Mason Rudolph who's playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers like come yeah. on yeah the guy the guy was a former walk-on I mean credit to him he stuck it out He's obviously shown something to to the coaches to where they're that confident in him to be the number one guy, despite two pretty talented guys coming in. But 
again, I got, I got to see it in a game. I mean, he's he's shown flashes, I guess, getting in there and mop-up duty, but it's a much different deal lining it up in a real game. Yeah, and as, Gundy, so- as, or as Gundy said, he loves those baseball analogies. The uh, it's a hell. It's a, lot, it's a lot easier coming in as the relief pitcher up eight runs as opposed to a tie game. Well, in ga- <laughs> Gundy's always been big about flipping the lights on, right? He talked about this. I remember after the Florida State game in 14, he's like, well, we kind of know more what we have now that we actually played a game. And so it, the hard part about that is your first two games just stink. Like, did you did you really learn anything? I don't know. Uh, so I, I don't know. The whole thing's going to be interesting. We got to call Bill Haston. It's time for the Coop Works Guest of the Week. Coop Works, brewing great-tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. We enjoyed some delicious Coop at our summit. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the Bolt DNR Belgian Strong Ale, or the refreshing Horty Toad Blonde. For your next watch party tailgate or get-together with friends, enjoy a cold Coop Works, and please remember to drink responsibly. Carson, the Fly, Fly Me Away IPA? Pretty good. All in. Well, someone pointed out to me on Instagram, you guys had no Saturday sirens there? That's a I huge misstep. I don't know what happened. It huge was just, misstep. We did have a uh, a yet-to-be-released. Oh. Uh, sources say? You got a sources yeah, beer? We had we had some sources that was excellent. I brought some home. It was so good. Okay. Well, I told you the Fly Me Away was pretty good. I'm not a big IPA guy, but I, I really like that one. And obviously, the, the F5 is their biggest seller. Yeah. So, okay. Let's call Bill Hayson of the Tulsa world and see what he's up to. We are joined by Bill Hayson, columnist for the Tulsa world, uh, extensive knowledge of Oklahoma state. It's good to have you back on the podcast, Bill. Thank you, Carson. I, uh, I didn't see you at media day the other day. Come to think of it. I saw Kyle, but I didn't see Carson. Yeah. It's hard to get out of the studio on the weekends. I'm, I'm pretty much no, on that's my, right. my lonesome. No. Uh, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I should have thought of that, but but yeah, no, it, was right. a, uh, it was a fairly uneventful media day. What about, uh, did you go to the caravan last night in, in Tulsa? I did not. I was at the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame last night to see oh. uh, Alan Trimble and Joe Castiglione and uh, several others. Uh, Robin Ventura was inducted. You know, I had a good visit with Robin Ventura. I was, uh, I hadn't talked with him in a long time, and, and I probably discussed this with him when I did talk to him a long time ago, but I was just asking him about, you know, what the pressure was like on a kid because he was just, you know, a 21 year old guy at the time um, when he had that 58 game hitting streak. And at what point did he start like feeling real pressure? And that was pretty fascinating for him to revisit that, Um, you know, and that's, you know, the, the part, the most sacred record in Oklahoma state sports history is what Barry Sanders did 30 years ago, no doubt about it. And if you think about Barry Sanders' season in 88, uh, 2,850 yards, right, and didn't play uh, in the second half and, and or the fourth quarter of a lot of games, if he had had 25 more carries, just 25 more carries, he's way over 3,000 yards, which yeah. would have been – you know, as it stands now, it's still mind-blowing what he did and how far ahead of the field he remains 30 years later. But there would have been something really magical about 3,000 rushing yards. So at, at a time also when – I don't know why my voice just broke – at a time also when 3,000 yards passing at, in 1988 was a big number. <laughs> and this guy could have rushed for 3,000. So anyway – 
but Ventura was very interesting. But no, last night I did not go to the caravan. I was at uh, the Hall of Fame. Where Where is Ventura these days? What say it again? Like what's Ventura doing nowadays? Where is he? Uh, you know, I don't even know. I, I I think he's in Chicago, but I don't know what he's doing. I'm yeah, baseball related. Uh, I don't know what he's doing. Actually, he was. We only had you know a very limited amount of time with each of the inductees. So, um, once I got a couple of questions in, and Barry Trammell got a couple in, it was that was the end yeah. of that. Speaking of speaking of Barry Sanders. I've seen the sort of Justice Hill comps. I, I don't think that anybody's necessarily comparing them on the field, but just their demeanor and the way they carry themselves. Are you are you buying those comps? Do you is that is that something mm-hmm. that you've sort of noticed as well? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's maybe there's a little more of a demonstrative response from Justice when he has a big play or a touchdown, whereas Barry Sanders literally handed the ball to the official. And just you know, jog back to the sideline. Um, but I think I think Justice Hills, I think the respect level within the program for the way Justice does his work, uh, without a ton of fanfare and without any foolishness. Sure, I think I bet. I mean, I wasn't around in '88, but I got to presume that you know, the respect level for Barry Sanders was just maxed throughout the program in 88 and i know it's maxed throughout the program now for justice because of the way you know he works in, in the conditioning stuff in the offseason and everything and because he's the he's the best player on the team so he commands that respect anyway uh but the fact that he does it in a classy understated way i know the coaches love it and i'm sure his teammates love it and you know gundy at the caravan last night was interesting because if you go back to April, I was at a spring practice and was talking to Gundy off to the side, and my last question to him was, by the way, a year from today, do you expect that Justice Hill is getting ready for the draft or he's here in, in spring football with you? And he said, oh, no, he's going to be here. He, he's going to play two more seasons. And, I mean, Gundy didn't even bat an eye. He, that, he called his shot right there. Justice will be here for two more years that's my expectation well if justice hill were to play two more seasons and stay healthy he's gonna not only break he would not only break thurman thomas's career rushing record at osu but probably obliterate it and then last night at the caravan in tulsa uh mark cooper wrote about it today or last night but you know gundy said he kind of did an about face on that expectation and kind of indicated that uh, the good news is that justice is on course to graduate here pretty soon. And the bad news is, he, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but that he probably is headed for the NFL after this year. So, um, which actually makes sense to me that he would uh, just because the, you know, the shelf life on running backs is so brief and, they take so much punishment. And so if Justice Hill can, because Carson, you know he's going to kill it at the combine. Mm-hmm. Speed stuff, strength stuff, agility stuff. Uh, I don't pretend to know how many running backs will be in the combine, but he'll be in the top three, I bet you, in every category. Yeah. Every well, measurable. He, he'll was, be in the top three. So, 
Yeah, it was funny. Me and Kyle were, were joking about Gundy trying to get in front of that, saying he was coming back for two years. So it was it was good to hear him basically admit that, okay, this is his last year. Because you also throw in the fact that he's graduating uh, in three years. So he, he really has no incentive to come back to play with perhaps maybe Dax Hill. That was, that was my next question is, right. where do you think Dax Hill stands? Obviously, he would be the biggest recruit Oklahoma State's ever gotten. He is Justice's brother, but as we're talking about, Justice probably isn't going to be on campus. So do you think, Dax Hill, there's a chance that OSU can still land him or no? Well, I do. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm i recovering from a big knee surgery, right? So I have therapy several days a week at a facility in South Tulsa. Well, the Booker T quarterback uh, is also coming back from an ACL last year. So he's there all the time. And then... So there are Booker T, like assistant coaches there with him or people involved in the program or whatever. So I'm talking to Booker T people all the time. And I'm, you know, and I understand that Dax is going to go to Ann Arbor in mid-September for a visit. But, you know, I mean, just on the basis of what I'm told in these conversations, um, with informed Booker T people. Now, I'm not getting any of this from Derek Hill, who's the father of Justice and Dax. I'm certainly not getting it from Dax, uh, but it just seems like if they're, if you're really kind of trying to narrow it down from the list of six schools to maybe two, it seems uh, to me that, that those two would be Oklahoma State and Alabama. At this point, uh, you know, and that's not just me rolling it out there. I mean, that's an educated guess on my part. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. But, um, no, I think Oklahoma State is absolutely in the picture, and I don't think it's in any kind of a token way because Justice is the best player over there right now. I, I think it's a legitimate uh, – I think OSU's position in Dax's mind is very legitimate. And uh, – you know, on one hand, I mean, Garrett Neiman wrote about this the other day, and I think he got some grief from some OSU fans. But, I mean, the essence of what Garrett wrote was, if he does choose Alabama, how could you, you know, how could you be critical of that decision if you look at the list of Saban players who have been drafted, defensive guys, DBs, I mean, it's it's really staggering how many players Saban has sent to the NFL. And so if you play at Alabama and if you get on the field at Alabama um, and you perform, obviously, then it's, it's, it's essentially just – it's just a, it's just a uh, you know, a way station on your way to the NFL. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if a kid like Dax Hill goes to Oklahoma State – and is a three-time All-Big 12 kid and, uh, you know, is as good as I expect he will be because I'm telling you, he's he is a, he's off the charts as a football athlete. He is a, a phenom as an athlete, and he's a big kid, and he looks like, you know, when he's padded up, I mean, he looks like a 24-year-old guy running around with a bunch of high school kids. Uh but I'm telling you, there's something to be said, too, for an Oklahoma kid staying in state, uh, excelling at the highest level, 
you know, this guy might be a two-time All-American. Uh, anyway, uh, is there's something to be said for a kid who stays in state, flourishes, has a great career because uh, for the rest of his life, you know, doors would open for him. Yeah. Just like they will for justice, just like they will for uh, and do for former Sooners and Cowboys who are from in, in who are from the state of Oklahoma who had nice careers at those schools, and then you know business doors, business opportunities they all open up for those guys, and so there's definitely something to, not to mention from the Booker T campus to Boone Pickett Stadium, it's about 76 miles. Yeah. Whereas it would be, it would be a tough trip for Derek Hill and his wife to go to Tuscaloosa, even for the home games, never mind going to Kentucky and in South Carolina and Florida. So, um, no, I think, I think the, uh, geographically OSU certainly got an advantage there. Uh, but I would just say right now, just as we speak, I would just say if if there's two finalists, at least in my mind, it's Oklahoma State. You know, for what it's worth, I mean, Dax did not attend the OU barbecue a few days ago. So, um, you know, you probably shouldn't analyze that too much, <laughs> and I'm not. But but that's the fact of it. He was not yeah. there. Yeah. So I just he- I think I think Oklahoma State being so close to home and I think Justice, having had such a sensational experience at OSU, those are big factors. Yeah, for sure. You wrote interestingly about uh, Mike Yersich possibly being in, in his last year at OSU as the offensive coordinator, which I know a lot of Oklahoma State fans are excited about. They probably won't be after he moves on. But That's right. I'm interested in what type of job you think that he will land because I believe Toledo was the school that you mentioned that – uh, it didn't, you know, a, a job that maybe he could have gotten and he would have been making about half or le- more than half, less than half of what he's making now. What type of job do you think Mike Yersich will be up for after this year and, and beyond? Well, to be honest, I mean, it was Kent State in the MAC, and, and I didn't even know about that, Kyle, until a few days ago. Uh, I knew he had been involved a couple of years ago with Tulane, Mm-hmm. And kind of bailed, bailed out in that process, and uh, um, to what extent he was involved with Tulane, I don't know, but I know he was in, he was involved. And then, uh, but more recently, you know, in December, uh, Kent State was super interested in my Kirsich. How this escaped all of us, I don't know, but it did. Uh, but Kent State, the program at Kent State is in disarray. They, uh, I think their facilities are really lagging. Probably a strong suggestion that the financial support is really lagging. And I think that, you know, Yersich believes that when the time is right for him, he can do better than that, than that kind of a job for a first head coaching job. So I just know what the statistics suggest. And that's that, uh, offensive coordinators are far more likely to get that look at a head coaching opportunity at that first head coaching opportunity than a defensive coordinator. There are seven first time first year head coaches in FBS this year and six of them last year were offensive coordinators. Only one of them was a defensive guy. 
and that's the guy who went from Alabama to Tennessee. So I think Yersich's age is perfect at 42. I think that when Gundy gave him a 33% raise and made him the highest paid uh, assistant coach in OSU history at 800000 that made a statement to other schools, too. That said, hey, you know, Gundy really likes this guy. And and then if Mike Yersich can get really good results out of whatever the quarterback circumstance is going to be, presumably, you know, Taylor Cornelius, but uh, we presumed also in 14 that J.W. Walsh would be the guy for 13 games, and that didn't work out. Um, so you never know. But I know that OSU has had uh, four 10-win seasons since Yersich has been there. Four out of five years they've had a 10-win season, and, he, and they got to those 10 with – Clint Shelf and J.W. in 13, with Rudolph and J.W. in 15, and then with Mason uh, lighting it up the last two seasons. So um, if Yersis can get big numbers and 8, 9, 10 wins this out of a new quarterback situation, whatever it's going to wind up looking like, I think he's right there on the brink. I think he's on anybody's list of, you know, high coordinators who – are in line for a, a head coaching job, whether that's in the Sun Belt or the MAC, you know, Mountain West, American, I don't know. I, I'm not suggesting it would be a Power 5 job right out of the gate, but absolutely, I think I think my curiosity, who, and I think personally, I mean, I think this is just absolutely qualified to be a head coach, and like you said, you know, you better be careful what you wish for because He's been really good for OSU, and you know I know some fans will will uh, celebrate if he does leave, which I don't get at all. But uh, they, you know that's been the lineage. I mean, Gundy was a coordinator, got the head coaching job at OSU. Larry Fedora, Dana Holgerson, Todd Munkin, all got their first head coaching jobs out of OSU coordinator positions, and now it just seems like. It's yours. It's his turn. It's time for him to, uh, barring a really unexpectedly, you know, bad season, offensively or for the team as a whole. I think by, I don't know, mid December that Mike Yersich is doing a news conference at another school. Yeah, I would agree. And it's humorous to to Kyle and I on his website. Anytime Yersich comes up, people want to say like. Mason Rudolph succeeded despite Yursich, as if Yursich didn't recruit Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph just showed up, and Yursich has also recruited Spencer Sanders. It's almost like he gets no credit for these quarterbacks showing up on campus. Right. That's always been, well, been humorous to, to Kyle. It's beyond I. that, though, Carson, it's beyond that because, I mean, not only does he identify them and, and successfully recruit them, but, you know, those quarterbacks are with Yursich every day. I mean, that's right. That's a development relationship that goes over a period of years, uh, and I'm I'm with you. I mean, Spencer Sanders is he's the future of the of the of the program. There's no question in my mind um, whether that happened, whether that first chapter is written this year or it starts next year. We'll see. But uh, I have no doubt in my mind that Sanders is the next franchise quarterback at OSU. Uh, but you know, it's beyond just uh, recruiting and bringing them in. It's the development of those guys. So sure, sure. And I think you know, I think Yursich is really good. 
Yeah, and when when Kyle and I were up there in Stillwater for the for the golf event, you know, we knew Taylor Cornelius had a leg up. We knew Gundy had said he's our guy at Big Twelve Media Days, but Kyle and I were both a little surprised and taken aback at the level of assurance that Taylor Cornelius was going to be the guy. And I guess Gundy's reiterated that now that fall camps opened. Are you a little surprised that he, they're so assured in him? And I mean, is, or is there just a case where Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders don't have enough time necessarily to win the job? Well, it's, there's some of that for sure, especially with Drew Brown. But, uh, you know, if you, if we were talking in mid-May and Gundy had been this strong with, uh, comments on Taylor Cornelius yeah I would have been surprised but throughout the summer I would correspond with somebody in Stillwater who was seeing those nightly sessions uh that those voluntary sessions that really aren't that voluntary but but you know watching watching the quarterbacks throw to the receivers and and they were doing some informal seven on seven stuff and and uh but every time I would ask about how the, how the quarterbacks look, how Sanders look. Every time the report back to me was, uh, Cornelius looks great, and if anything, you know, Cornelius is really fortifying his hold on the job. And and so, um, no. So by now, by by the time we rolled into the Big Twelve media and and subsequent media uh, events with Mike Gundy, and he's saying what he's saying about. Cornelius, I'm not surprised at all. Now, even Mike said this himself, Kyle, you heard him. Uh, I mean, he's got some proving to do in games for sure. Mm-hmm. But at, le- at least going into the Missouri State game, and I, presumably that's that's just a layup line against Missouri State. So presumably he comes out of South Alabama even because they're not any good. Uh, Cornelius probably has two. Uh, really nice performances there. So the Boise game is the swing game, not only for OSU this year, but I think for Cornelius. I mean, if he if if he plays well, he's poised, he's productive, uh, runs everything in a good way uh, in those first two, and then turns around in week three and beats Boise. Hey, he's the guy. I mean, is yeah beyond firm. I mean, he's he's as much the guy the rest of the way as Mason was last year unless he stumbles unless he uh unless he just didn't play well once they get into the meat of the conference schedule but um you know and then it becomes interesting to see what Gundy does with that four game rule on the red shirt and you know does he what's the greater priority in these first two is it to get Cornelius as much uh, experience in, in with, against game speed as possible, or is it to see what all three of those guys look like? I don't know. I don't know that he knows at this point. I know that I think if 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 I were the head coach, um, knowing you still got a lifetime ahead with with Sanders, I uh, I think I would give uh, Cornelius as many game reps as I could get him in those first two. Because he's going to be your guy against Boise, and I want him—I don't want him—I uh, want him to have a high level of confidence and as much, you know, if that, if, you know, I don't know, 140 at least game snaps prior to the Boise game for Cornelius would be would be really good, and mm-hmm. you don't get that if you're rolling quarterbacks in and out of the game in those first two. Yeah, well, thankfully, 
Like I told Carson, Gundy's never messed up a quarterback situation before, so <laughs> I'm sh- I'm sure all of this will go will go incredibly smoothly throughout the rest of the year. So you so you you're just uh, if we talk ten years from today, you're still going to make veiled references to Alex Kate and Brandon <laughs> Whedon. Uh, right? They won't be veiled. I mean, and that's not the only one that he messed up. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we were talking about the time that that Shelf got two two series in the season opener before they yanked him. <laughs> right. Well, I, I mean, know, but I mean, to me, the, the gold standard on, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, on that, in that conversation is, is how Whedon was the third guy behind. I, I, behind I do wonder, Alex Kate. I wonder if he would go back and change the Westlaunt one because that one, I mean, some, and it, yeah, it's a little unfair for me to say that because a lot of this stuff is injury related or, um, I don't know, like, like stuff happens throughout the year. And I think we forgot that with Rudolph because he just didn't get hurt and he just kept playing and right. you might need two or three guys. I mean, Oklahoma state has in a lot of the seasons that Gundy has been the coach needed two or three guys. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Well, let's see. Let's just think back. Uh, 06, Bobby Reed started every game. 07, Zach Robinson came off the bench to take the job Yeah. in the third game, and he held on to it the rest of the way. In fact, the only other start, the only start he didn't make after that was the Alex Kate game uh, yeah. against Colorado. Yeah. Uh, then Whedon has every start for two years. And then the West Lunt injury season in 12. So 12, 13, 14, you're right. There was a revolving door at quarterback. 15, you had the the rotation. So they had four straight years where I wouldn't even include 15. 15 was more out of – it was totally out of design to use JW and short guardage and goal line stuff. So, um, But, yeah, for, for sure, for three years in a row, 12, 13, 14 – injuries uh, resulted in multiple quarterbacks having been used. But I will say this about if you think back to 14 and what a debacle that was, um, it was a transition year. It became a transition year unexpectedly when Joe Dutton breaks his foot against Missouri State. So then you have to run Dax Garman out there. And the problem was if Dax Garman were here now, with what they have around the quarterback today versus what they had in 14, Dax Garman might have a nice season, but they couldn't protect. They couldn't run block. It was the worst offensive line I've ever covered. It was terrible. It was awful offensive line play. And, you know, Tyreek Hill was misused as a classic tailback. That's not what he is. But it was a necessity deal because they just did – they were, you know, starved for – playmakers in the backfield and they it was just you know an imperfect storm uh you had a freshman Ramon Richardson to cover uh elite wide receivers in the Big 12 like Corey Coleman and the kids from TCU it was just a tough bad season so whoever the quarterback is this year I mean presumably it's 10 or 20 years but if they do get to mid-season or beyond and for whatever reason it's Sanders or it's Brown, they're just way, way, OSU is way better suited now with a supporting cast to help a, a transitional quarterback than it was in 14 uh, when Dash Garman got 
you know, they gave up 40 sacks that year. I think Dax himself took 31 of those. Jeez. Uh, well, that's why he wasn't able to finish uh, to yeah. to play after after the Texas game. He got sacked seven times. Um, I think but, they gave uh, up. I think they gave up like thirty eight in two thousand fifteen too. Rudolph got sacked a lot at the beginning of his career. No, no, Rudolph got sacked a lot. Really, the whole his whole career, uh, you know, because they're still not even. You know, fifteen they were a little better than fourteen. 16, they were a little better than 15, and last year they were a little better. But, hey, none of these recent, none of these last five OSU offensive lines has been on the level of the good Wickline lines of 06 through 12. None of them. So if they can, you know, and Gundy shared a stat, I'm sure that caught your attention too, Kyle, the other day when he said, you know, as recently as like three years ago, they had 15 offensive line guys yeah. in the in the program, and yeah. now they're back up to about 20, 24. Yeah. So, you know, they were about 40% below on the numbers where they should be at that position group. And yeah. That's that's why they went. That's why they went crazy there that one year. Signed seven of them, and they've you know they've been signing a guy or two beyond what they typically would just to get their numbers back up. So, and he kind of called his shot too. Gundy did Saturday at media day. And he basically said, this will be the best line we've had in a few years. So, uh, it just seems like with what Knowles is trying to get done defensively with all that speed on that side of the ball, with what they have in the backfield, which I think is OSU's best backfield depth since 07 when they had three NFL running backs. Uh, with Savage, Hunter as a freshman, and then Toaston. I think this is the best three-deep that OSU has been since 07 in the backfield. And then you still got a bunch of guys who can catch it downfield and make plays. So they're just infinitely more suited or or capable of supporting a new quarterback, whoever this guy's going to be. Yeah, I mean, Josh Henson's doing a great job uh, as the offensive line coach and recruiter. But I wanted to ask you about uh, the defensive coordinator hire, Jim Knowles. We got a chance to talk to him up at Carson Creek as well. He, he comes off, Bill, as razor sharp, just super smart. Uh, what do you make yep. of his hiring, and what do you think he's going to do with the defense? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I don't think, honestly, I don't think that Mike ever looked at Glenn Spencer and said, you are doing a poor job. You are doing a substandard job here. I think that Mike just reached a point where he, and this is just me you know, guessing, but I think Mike just took a look at it all and just thought, you know, I know what it looks like with Coach Spencer. I want to see what it looks like with somebody else. And then I don't know if it's totally coincidence or whatever, but Gundy was part of the coach's film room during the championship game, Alabama, uh, Georgia championship game. And, you know, across the table from him was coach Cutcliffe of Duke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those guys spent a lot of hours together. Now, I don't know if they talked a lot off the air or not. I don't know, but I thought it was interesting that only a few weeks later that Mike hired Cutcliffe's defensive coordinator away from him. Um, I don't know. Some of the stuff about what uh, what uh, Knowles does in meetings in terms of keeping his players engaged, challenging, challenging them to stay plugged in, uh, you know, hitting them with, uh, questions about, you know, we went over this five minutes ago. We're, now recite it back to me verbatim. Um, in addition to what I keep hearing is is an emphasis on 
on uh, greater aggression defensively, which I happen to agree with because, I mean, in the Big 12, when you're facing a potent Big 12 offense, uh, a classic spread type deal, I mean, if it's a really good offense with a with a, a veteran uh, productive quarterback, probably you're probably going to give up a touchdown. You just are. So you can sit back and um, maybe get give up a nine play touchdown drive, or you can be more aggressive with your blitzing uh, and your pressures, and you you might give up a three play touchdown, or or you might you know punch the ball out of the quarterback's hands, or you might make you might force him to make a bad decision downfield. And, you know, I mean, I don't, we'll never again see what we saw in 2011 when OSU got 44 takeaways uh, by the defense. I, that was – that's about like Robin Ventura hitting in 58 straight games. That's that's <laughs> probably an untouchable record at OSU. I mean, 44 takeaways, think about that. Uh, but I think with more aggression, a little more risk-taking uh, in the way you pressure uh, – you for maybe for every three touchdowns you give up, maybe you're going to get 1.5 turnovers in return. I don't know what the ratio is going to end up looking like, but I would, you know, you knew what it looked like with Coach Spencer for a long time, and I just think ultimately that might just I want to see what it looks like with a different philosophy and a different and a fresh set of eyes on the defense. So he uh, he identified Jim Knowles as that guy, and you know. They haven't played a game yet, so it's kind of silly to put a grade on that higher. But everything I hear from Stillwater is like excessively positive about Jim Knowles. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the defense has actually a chance to be pretty good. Uh, Calvin Bondage looks like he could start for like LSU or something at middle linebacker. He's Three. a yep, he's a monster. Um, Okay, Bill, we've taken up way too much of your time. Uh, we always appreciate you doing this. It's always a lot of fun. Have we ever gotten a favorite uni com- combination from you, by the way? Um, I mean, I hadn't really thought. I mean, I, I guess I heard somebody ask Gundy that the other day, and I should have put more thought into it. So Gundy mentioned, like, that gunmetal color. Yeah. Which is, uh, what, like, like, a, uh, like a dark gray kind of deal. Yeah. I like that. I, I like that a lot too. Uh, um, but you know, like like when the kid from A and M grad transferred to OSU over the weekend, and the pictures that surfaced on Twitter of him, he was in the all white with the Pete helmet. You know, yeah, that's that's pretty good looking. Player, that, players love a, that. That's a that's a clean uniform. Yeah, uh, I like that. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, black jerseys look good. Black helmets look good. I don't know. There's just so many combinations. It's, <laughs> it's tough to pick one. I don't know. I just, I just, I, I still uh, marvel at how ahead, of, how ahead of most uh, of the country OSU was on, in regard to uniforms. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's crazy. All these years later, uh, when you're at the stadium, uh, people still like fire out tweets the second they determine what the uniform is going to be that day. There's still an anticipation about it. So it's pretty, pretty effective marketing, but no, I like, I like that gunmetal color. Now that I think about it, that's pretty good. Absolutely. 
Okay, Bill, uh, don't grind too hard. We will uh, we will talk soon and uh, hopefully see you at the first game. Oh no, I'll uh, I'll uh, let me think about this. What's my first Oklahoma State game? I know I get the Boise game. Um, Thursday night season opener, right? Or is it Friday? Yeah. Oh, of course. No, no, no. Of course, I am at the opener. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Thursday game. Of course, I'll be at that. And then I got Boise and and a bunch of them after that. Okay. So, uh, and in between, I think I got Chip Kelly at OU. Isn't that an interesting weird game? Chip Kelly at OU. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. That's and Lane wild. Kiffin. And Lane Kiffin and Norman. Lane. Well, here's, Lane. Here's the here's the difference between UCLA and Florida Atlantic right now. Anyway. Florida Atlantic will go to Norman, and they're crazy enough to think they'll win. <laughs> yeah, they they're a hot team. Oh, they're good. I mean, they got a nineteen hundred yard running back. Uh, I I promise Kiffin when they get on the plane, Kiffin's going to be of the belief that they can win that game. I'm not sure UCLA. I think UCLA will be overwhelmed, and for that matter, probably after about a quarter and a half, Lane Kiffin's squad will be overwhelmed too. But <laughs> yeah. but anyway, we got a, we got an interesting September for sure. No doubt. Thanks, thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. All right, fellas. Thank you. Talk yep. to you later. Okay, Carson. Uh, by the way, that uh, uniform review, <laughs> I guess, was uh, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We really appreciate uh, both Chris and Chris's and um, – Coop for continuing to sponsor this podcast and to Bill Hasten for giving us way too much of his time. Uh, He's always awesome. He always has great insight. Carson, what was your biggest takeaway? Where to begin? I thought he provided insight on virtually everything we talked about. Um, I think the Dak stuff is interesting. That kind of, that backs up what you and I kind of heard up in Stillwater that it's kind of down between Bama and Oklahoma state. I think that's certainly encouraging because I think the last time we talked on the podcast, we were not quite writing off OSU, but we kind of expected him to go to you know Michigan, Ohio State, or Bama. So that would be just an incredible coup for for Mike Gundy, not only just to get the best recruit he's ever gotten, but a guy on the defensive side of the ball. They've had plenty of offensive stars. That would be just so huge. Yeah, I'm. I mean, we we don't, we talk about it so much, and I still feel like we don't talk about it enough. <laughs> I mean, like it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's seriously that big of a deal for Oklahoma state to get a top eight recruit in the country. It's just, it's unbelievable. And yeah, I'm, I'm with what he said and what you just noted that based on everybody I've talked to, I think the people that, that, uh, Kyle Boone, who <laughs> I think like thinks about this in his sleep, uh, the people that he's talked to, I think it's, as of right now, in the in the beginning of August, it feels like Oklahoma State and Alabama. Now, if you're Oklahoma State, do you feel great about your chances going up against Bama? Probably not, but uh, you're at least in the conversation, you know. Um, and it was interesting to hear that people around the OSU program don't necessarily think that OU is is still in it. And who knows that this stuff changes so much. And who, you know. Who can, who can say what the actual decision will be? But it's fascinating to think about what 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 a Jim Knowles defense could be with Daxell as the as the centerpiece maybe in the, over the next two or three years. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun for sure. Um, okay, we need to hear one more time from our sponsor, Christie's University Spirit, and then we will come back and wrap things up. 
Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, uh, any other takeaways from from uh, Bill? I've got, uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Any other takeaways from Bill? No, I'm good. Uh, good to talk to him. I, I can't wait to, as he, we talked about, just to see how the quarterback stuff plays out. That's going to be fascinating. But it was interesting to hear his perspective on that too. Yeah, you know, it was interesting this summer because as you think about Oklahoma State, you're like, well, it feels like all the interesting storylines left and is there any intrigue and all of a sudden it's august and i'm like wow there's justice hill there's i mean there's a lot of storylines surrounding justice hill there's the quarterback there's maybe your last year there's 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 always like interesting things to think about and to write about and um i don't know it's just exciting to be a part of i feel like yeah we're in that that period of time right now where i'm i'm getting really fired up for football so it's, yeah it's a lot of fun. yeah absolutely uh, i'm heading to the pga championship i think we're releasing this on wednesday so i might be in the air right now as as we release this um but you got a you got a pga pick for me yeah my my general rule was going to pick, be picking justin rose until he wins again but he pulled out with a back injury last now week he, so that yeah last week yeah that's not uh I don't know if anyone's ever pulled out the week before and then won a major. That doesn't seem like a recipe for success. Mm. I mean, it's so hard not to pick Dustin Johnson, um, but I I really like your pick of Tony Finau. He's going to be on my my fantasy yep. team. I like all the big. My here's my fantasy team. See if you like it. I kind of looked over your rankings. Uh, I got Dustin Johnson one, Jason Day two, Henrik Stenson three. I never pick Henrik, but the stats kind of back him up. Brooks Thompson for Brooks, Brooks. Thompson. <laughs> that was old man radio right there. That's the best thing that's ever been said on this. Brooks podcast. Thompson, uh, rest in peace, man. That was a that was a Freudian slip from the, wow. my childhood. Wow. Uh, Brooks Kepka, how about that? Brooks Kepka hits it a long ways, and then uh, Tony Finau. Yeah, I, uh, I, I did have Rory in there. He's on my second team. I just it, he's playing really well. Uh, but that's kind of the five I think I'm on my first team. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Uh, by the way, Rory, aren't you? I picked Rory. Yeah, he's he's shown me something lately. He's finally playing like Rory to where he's actually a, a threat. He's played really well in the majors this year. So yeah, I, I haven't picked him in a while. I I haven't picked him maybe all year until the last two weeks. I feel like he's I feel like he's scoring well, even though he's not hitting it that well, which is very like Spethian of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it should I've, be I've been impressed with him this year. I can't, he's finally playing like Rory McElroy. He was not the reason this whole Rory debate between you and I started was you still viewed him as the best player in the world by a long ways. And he just wasn't playing that way. Now he's kind of, he's, he's definitely in the hunt at, at every major this year. So that's, and it, and especially he's won two PGAs like this, this seems to always set up well for him. Yeah, for sure. I'm headed to uh, yeah, sweaty St. Louis. Should be uh, hot and muggy. It just sounds muggy, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it's just like St. Louis in August just sounds like an abomination. Like, just sounds <laughs> disgusting. Um, no, it, it it'll be fun. I'm excited to to get out there. Uh, I did real quick before we go. I got I got to get two uniform takes from you. One is uh, people were commenting on my high socks to play golf <laughs> in at Carson and my backwards hat. So I want to get your take on that. And then two is I went to basketball practice, which I want to talk about this at some point. Uh, we've already gone pretty long on this podcast, but um, everybody on the team, short shorts. Like I've seen a lot of uh, like just just too too many legs, too much leg. Uh, they're, but I wanna, they're making a comeback short yeah. shorts. So I want to get your take on those two things and then we'll, we'll eject. Well, I got the picture pulled up of you, me and uh Boone. You look like, like you have all like the top notch country club gear. You got the quail hollow hat, which pairs nicely with the pink Augusta shirt, the Augusta belt, but it looks like you came straight from the gym and left <laughs> on your, your running shoes and your workout socks. Looks like he didn't have time to change. Uh, Boone looks like he's pledging to a fraternity. Like he showed up for bid day. He's got his his polo shirt and his khaki shorts. He looks like he's about to rush Fiji or somebody. I look like a I look like a jackass. I've got my my Patrick Reed starter kit on with my Nike polo, and I went full I went full. Uh, uh, high crown visor that I got at Shangri-La up at Grand Lake, and it doesn't quite fit me that well. It doesn't look like it looks like I got a big old head. So it looks. I mean, like, I, it looks like uh, you, it looks like Nike scripted you. Like, did you? Re, did, was there a press release for your scripting for Karsten? Yeah, I put a lot of thought into it because I knew we would be breaking it down. I got my my black and gray Nike shoes <laughs> with my black shorts and my gray shirt and my black hat. Like, it's like uh, Nike tweeted out my my scripting for the day, and I followed it to a T. <laughs> But we're all winners. We're all winners. Yeah, except Jake Trotter came up to me on Saturday at Media Day in Stillwater and said, man, you suck at golf. <laughs> he's like, cocky, man. He's like, I thought you were good. I was like, well, I'm not. I mean, I cover golf. I don't like play it that much. <laughs> See, I didn't even know Jake played, but he played in the Bob Berry Jr. Memorial Tournament, and his team did like awesome. He was like near the top, and I was like, I didn't even know Jake played golf at all, let alone played on a team that could do that well. So he's he's cocky these days. We'll have to, yeah. we'll have to invite him out and humble him a little bit. Yeah, you and me versus him in a million. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Okay, short shorts real quick. I, I'm i not a fan, but I, I know where they're, they're getting it. You know, Russell Westbrook and the NBA guys, Harden, they roll their shorts up real high too at practice. So it's just kind of – they always mimic what the NBA guys are doing, which is funny because I just saw a tweet uh, just now on – uh, where TJ Ford was playing for the Milwaukee Bucks, and his shorts were literally that. down to his ankles. It looked like it was photoshopped. <laughs> so it's all cyclical. Uh, we'll probably go back to the '94 Arkansas shorts in a few years, but right now short shorts are in. It looked fake, the TJ Ford photo. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. It looked just hilarious. Like, like how do you even dribble your a basketball through there? <laughs> Doesn't seem possible. This is where you guys come for great Dax Hill and TJ Ford takes in the same and, podcast. And Dax Garman takes. And Dax Garman. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Enjoy the rest of the week, Carson. We will be back at it uh, next week with uh, – next as of next – when we tape our podcast next week, it will be two weeks until Oklahoma State football, which is crazy to me. Holy, holy. So should be fun. Enjoy the final major of the year, and we will talk soon.
Yeah. Hopefully Ricky wins. We have to talk about Ricky. There you go. I'm not counting on it, but hopefully so. <laughs> talk to you later. All right. See you.